Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast, where I share the journeys and experiences of women who are living with cancer. On today's episode, I had the privilege of chatting with Ruth Kavanaugh. Ruth Kavanaugh is a two-time brain cancer survivor and thriver. She was diagnosed when she was 34 years old and is now 39. She has had five brain surgeries and numerous procedures since her diagnosis. She is an incredible advocate for brain cancer awareness, which is one of the most underfunded cancers, but yet the number one leading cause of cancer death in children. On today's episode, we talk about the language of cancer, words like battling, thriving, fighting. We talk about some of the incredible advocacy work that she is doing, how this diagnosis has impacted her marriage, her relationships with her family and friends, the importance of mental health for both patients and caregivers, and just so much more inspiring and meaningful talk. One of the things that Ruth said on today's episode that really resonated with me is that Hope does not have to be this big thing. I hope that you really enjoy our conversation and welcome Ruth. Thank you for joining me today. Can you start by introducing yourself to the audience and telling us a little bit about who you are? Uh, Absolutely. Um, Well, thank you so much for having me um, interviewed. I deeply appreciate it. You know, one of my main things is. Uh, getting my story out there. Again, I I very much appreciate it. So my name is Ruth Kavanaugh. I'm 39 years old, currently, you know, approaching the uh, 40, (laughs) 40, uh, 40 year old stage, but I'm happy about it. I have no problems with that. Every year is a blessed year for me. So essentially, my uh, cancer story is quite extensive, even though I was only diagnosed uh, initially in April 2014. I'm sure through the discussion, we will go into more detail, but essentially I was diagnosed April 6th. Well, I'll go back actually. I was diagnosed in April of 2014 following a grand mal seizure, which occurred on April 6th of 2014. Um, I did not get, of course, the official diagnosis of what my brain cancer was um, until the surgery was conducted at Memorial Sloan Kettering, and we got the pathology report back. Um, so I was diagnosed with a grade three anaplastic ependymoma, which most people joke, how do you even pronounce that? (laughs) It actually took me quite a while myself to even, uh, learn how to pronounce it. So as we are here today, I have now undergone five brain surgeries in total since April, 2014, I have conquered brain cancer twice. Very proud to be a survivor slash thriver because I very much like the term thriver um, as well as survivor. Married to a wonderful man, have a wonderful family, a wonderful group of friends. I am primarily a advocate for brain cancer awareness more funding for research, which is desperately, desperately needed within this field. Brain cancer is known to be one of the most underfunded, if not the most underfunded cancers. And uh, it is, in fact, the number one leading cause of cancer-related deaths in children now. It has surpassed leukemia. Um, so this is a, a, a major thing that I like to get out there because people simply just don't know about brain cancer. They don't know the statistics. They certainly don't know the signs, mostly. 
uh, I did not know anything about brain cancer until unfortunately it entered my world five years ago. That's where essentially I am today. <laughs> that is quite the story. I want to talk, I mean, there's a lot I want to talk about, but you mentioned the whole survivor thriver terminology. So a lot of people may not know when you use which word, uh, if there's a distinction, what thriver means. And I know that there's a lot in the cancer community about those words. So can you share your input about that? Yes, uh, that, that is an issue that comes up a lot, um, the language of cancer. Um, I, you know, I, I take on the battle terminology. I have battled cancer. I have fought cancer. Um, I believe that I am not only just surviving, but when I say that I am a thriver and thriving, it's that I am taking something, excuse me, that has taken so much from my life and I am turning it around and I am fighting and working and doing all that I can to defeat uh, brain cancer and cancer in general and just being an advocate. So although it sounds very strange to say and a lot of people um, are a little thrown by it, cancer, despite how devastating it is, I personally have found so much good in my life that has come from it. I have found my strength. I have found my passion. I have met some of the most, well, the, the strongest people on earth through this journey. And um, again, there is a lot of discussion, debate, controversy over what terms we use. Do we use patient? Do we use survivor? Does it mean that if you battle cancer, however you pass, did they, did the person not quote fight enough? I do not believe that in any way, shape or form but it is very much a discussion within the cancer community. I think that's very true. And there's definitely, there's a lot about the whole, you know, I'm fighting cancer. I'm in a battle with cancer. We can talk a lot about that. You mentioned that you are an advocate for brain cancer awareness and research. What does being an advocate mean? Can anyone be an advocate? And what do you do in that role? Absolutely. Anyone. If cancer has touched your life, you can be an advocate in any way, shape, or form, I think. Um, personally, for me, I have worked with um, numerous cancer charities, most particularly the National Brain Tumor Society, and um, I have raised funds. I have raised awareness by telling my story. Um, I literally just came back from a reception in Capitol Hill for uh, Glioblastoma Awareness Day, which was a resolution um, that was passed unanimously by Congress. When does anything pass unanimously in Congress yeah. <laughs> um, but they got that through. And um, I was very, very, very um, delighted, humbled, proud to be at that reception uh, July 17th for Glioblastoma Awareness Day. Even though I did not have, I do not have a GBM, uh, I certainly know many people who have had it. Um, and I think just being an advocate in general um, for brain cancer, 
again, I, it, it was just a, an incredible experience. So to go back to, can anyone be an advocate? Yes. Tell your story. Your story is power. And people need to know uh, because I am quite young. People generally tend to think that cancer hits older, uh, the older population. However, um, I was only 34 years old when I was diagnosed. So I was still a young adult, um, essentially just really getting into the, um, the groove of finding my place in life. Um, you know, it, it takes to be about in your thirties nowadays <laughs> to get there. I, and I am very open about my story. You know, uh, people look at me because I, 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 I tend to look quite, um, in shape, fit, they always assume that something has happened to me like a sports injury or uh, that I uh, broke something because I walk with a cane um, or I have what's called an AFO, which is a special brace for my left leg um, because of treatment complications. But again, we may get more into that um, so, uh, you know, people really are shocked when I tell them and it's, it's, it's cab drivers. It's people who sit next to me, for example, even on the train coming back home from DC yesterday. Again, the advocacy, the awareness is just so important. You know, don't be ashamed of what you've been through. You know, don't be ashamed to tell people about your, I call it a fight, because I believe it is a fight. Um, and so you don't necessarily have to be on Capitol Hill before senators to be an advocate. You could simply just tell your story to anyone that raises awareness. Perhaps that person can connect with you because they know someone who knows someone. Um, you know, raising funds especially is so important and fundraising, finding some kind of event or fundraiser in which you can raise money for any cancer cause. Um, so again, like, a, you know, I've said anyone can be an advocate at any time, uh, any time of the day. <laughs> I think that's really important. So a lot of people kind of hear the word advocate and say, well, I, I can't do that. You know, I, I can't, that's not for me or, or on the opposite. Well, my cancer, you know, I, I'm not important enough to be an advocate. And I think that really highlights the fact that everyone's story is so important and we can learn something from every single person. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you've had a lot of surgeries you were in your 30s, you know, loving life. How did all that change? How do you adjust? How do you cope? What is all of that like? It's tough. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's hard. And that's why I say it is a fight because sometimes you are so fatigued. You don't want to get out of bed. It's, it's a fight just to simply get out of bed. It's a fight to walk down the block. Um, and you just have to find it within yourself to live life to the fullest. You know, mm -hmm. take, take advantage of every moment of every day. Uh, there's a quote I use. Um, appreciate every breath because there is someone out there fighting for their last. I love that. Yeah. I also <clears throat> like the quote, um, your wounds are your wings. Um, mm -hmm. and I unfortunately cannot, um, I don't, I do not know the, uh, the, the person who, uh, 
the quote is from, but I do have the picture on my phone. <laughs> so I apologize for not um, giving reference to the person who came up with that quote. It's turned my world upside down, inside out, but it has also, um, it's just made me find my voice. It's made me find my inner strength. Again, as I said in the beginning, you know, it's, it's, I found a passion. Um, I have connected with so many incredible people who have been affected by cancer and they don't necessarily have to have had cancer, you know, whether they're a care partner or they, um, have had a family member and they decided that they were going to find uh, a foundation that they were going to get involved in, or they created their own foundation. They created their own organization. So it's just, it's been a whirlwind. It has not all been positive. I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like I said, earlier. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> uh, but for me, only being positive can help me and being negative can only hurt me. And trust me, I have been in the dark moments and they are not fun. So I have to just do my best every day not to go there and to try and remain positive and try and just do what I can to, again, fight. How does someone who may be newly diagnosed with cancer make these connections? Um, well, so I, when I was initially diagnosed, I had to, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be the, you know, patient that was going to Google everything and everywhere because I knew it would only bring me down, <laughs> the, down the ugly wormhole. I think that they say um, I wasn't going to go on to WebMD. I didn't want to find chat rooms where people were, you know, talking about things that I didn't want to hear. So what I did was I found what I will term reputable cancer sources, such as the National Brain Tumor Society, the American uh, Cancer Society. Again, just, just reputable organizations. Um, I was a, a bit um, weary of support groups, but I did find an organization, Cancer Care, mm -hmm. and they have in-person, as well as um, at the time that, not initially diagnosed, a little bit later on, they had an online writing group, which was amazing. Unfortunately, they don't have it anymore. Um, however, um, I did join an in-person support group for young adults post-treatment, um, and I made lasting connections. Uh, some of them are quite, quite dear friends still to this day, and I am still in contact with all of them. So I think that in order to find reputable resources, you know, go to those kinds of websites go to a social worker in a hospital that you are treating at, ask your doctor, ask the nurses. You know, again, it's just all about reputable resources because there's a lot of ugly, ugly things out there in the World Wide Web <laughs> that I, I don't believe benefit people struggling with a new diagnosis. And in addition, uh, I am also a patient-to-patient -patient volunteer at Memorial Sloan Kettering. So they have a specific program at the hospital in which 
all a patient has to do is contact the volunteer department and say, listen, I'd really like to speak to someone, whether it be someone with my exact diagnosis, which can be difficult to match, but they try their best, or someone within my age group, or you know, someone who is generally has the same type of cancer. Uh, and the same goes for caregivers as well, because or care partners, because it's just as important for them. Um, there's also an incredible organization, um, Immerman's Angels, and they connect you with essentially a mentor um, that will, you know, you you ask, you fill out, you know, uh, uh, just online, or you can call them and you know tell them that you are looking for someone, whether it be someone within your exact area or someone even across the country, because my mentor lives in Arizona. I live just outside of Manhattan in New Jersey. Um, so again, it's just, I, I believe finding the um, resources through the most reputable ways that you most possibly can. That's a great, that's great advice. I want to talk about a little bit more about your individual cancer treatment and how that impacted your relationships, both uh, with your husband, your family, your friends. <laughs> well, that's a quite a loaded question, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, 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 it's so, you know, important just to, um, go back just a bit, the online writing program that I did through Cancer Care, one of the things that the social worker who uh, moderated the program sent to everyone in the group, uh, and again, this is all online, so we didn't know each other, you know, face to face, but it was the things I wish I knew when I was diagnosed with cancer. And one of those, I, I mean, I pretty much ticked off all of those. Oh, gee, I wish I had known that. I wish I had known that. But anyway, um, the one of the things is people will surprise you in the most wonderful, amazing ways, but people will also surprise you in very disappointing ways. And I, I don't think that that's discussed as much as it should be. For me, I have an amazing support system, and that is part of why I feel so fortunate. Um, I, I've known my husband most of my life. <laughs> um, our, best, our best friends are brother and sister, so we've known each other forever. So I am so ha happy to have him. He's been by my side through every surgery, sitting in hospital rooms with me, sitting in the urgent care at Sloan Kettering with me. It's endless. Um, you know, my, my parents, uh, my parents, I believe, struggle with it a lot um, because as my mother says, I wish it was me, which is hard because you don't ever want your mother who's raised you, who's loved you, who has, you know, been there for you to ever think that. But I, I do think that that probably comes with a lot of the cancer experiences from care partners because they feel so like, I would say that they can't control it. Maybe we as cancer patients believe, or at least I, I did, that I can somehow control this. So I, I feel a lot for the, the cancer partner, the care um, partners um, and the families and the friends. So none of my relationships thankfully have changed much. 
maybe that's because I've been so open about everything. Um, there's been a few disappointments. I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Won't get into the details of it. <laughs> Don't want to call anyone out, but, um, you know, um, but people don't really know what to say, what to do. And a lot of times all you have to do is say, I just don't have the words and you don't. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. You know, there is also something that one of my dearest friends who I unfortunately lost to a, uh, brain cancer, she always said, don't ask the person who is undergoing the treatment, who has been newly diagnosed, what they need. Just do it. Just send food. Send someone to clean their house or their apartment. Set up a dog walker for them. Um, examples like that. Don't leave it on the person who is undergoing the treatment to ask for help. Just do it. And, 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 and I do think that, that a lot of that is true, but that's also difficult for people. And, you know, I understand that. Um, so, again, you know, uh, my relationships, thankfully, are strong. I was surrounded by an amazing group of family and friends, and of course my husband. So I can't speak to, you know, losing many friendships or relationships, but I have heard many, many, many stories of people losing people that were close to them because they were undergoing cancer and the other person in their life couldn't handle it. So it was more about them than it was about the patient. And that's really terrible. And I hate to hear that. But sadly, it does happen. Do you have any suggestions or advice about how to you know, work on your relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a partnership, whether it's a friendship during treatment for cancer, you know, what kind of things help? I will be frank. There were um, times where my husband and I, we weren't realizing that we were arguing and it was because he didn't know how to help. I don't want to stereotype, but men like to fix things. And, you know, he, he didn't know how to fix it. So, frankly, thankfully, also, <laughs> uh, MSK Memorial Sloan Kettering has a fantastic therapist who only deals with couples. So we had a male social worker and the female um, therapist, doctor, uh, who I liked having the balance of the male and female there. I'll, I'll, I'll just say, I, I thought that it was beneficial to have that uh, you don't have that resource uh, for, you know, therapy, just talking, you know, just being open, asking, what are you feeling about this? You know, how can I help or what can I do? And as the patient being honest about asking for help because that's also hard it's hard to lose your independence because a lot of us lose that and we lose like i said control with this diagnosis that is so it's 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 a trauma 
And I, I absolutely believe that it is traumatic and it's traumatic to the person undergoing the cancer diagnosis as well as family, friends. And I have always just been extremely open with, or at least trying to be, um, as open as I can with my family, my friends about everything so that they know, you know, I'm still me, you know, I'm, it's still me here, even though I may, you know, now walk with a limp, you know, have to wear a hair piece. Mm -hmm. It's, it's still, I'm still me. So we'll just, you know, we just need to remember that. I hope that answers the question. <laughs> it does. It does. I mean, I think the bottom line is, and what you're saying is really communication, right? Yes. So communicating what you're getting, what you're not getting, what needs are being met. And I think we sometimes our people aren't good at doing that. Yes. Yes. A lot of people, you know, I'll, I'll use a very uh, anecdotal um, example. Uh, my husband and I, we go away, we travel a lot because one of my passions now is I need to travel. So I have a family um, place in the Caribbean and my husband and I were on the beach one day and I was just sitting along the water because I can't swim any longer, unfortunately. And my husband was uh, sitting back on the lounge chair and there was a man, you know, next to him. And I could see that they were talking, but I couldn't hear what they were saying. I came back to the chairs and th they weren't speaking anymore. And so I just turned to my husband and asked, what were you guys talking about? Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, well, the guy just asked me, you know, what happened to you? He thought that you had had a stroke. And he said to me that I'm a really great guy because most men would have left. And that was <laughs> mind-blowing to me <laughs> that, 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 that actually came out of a stranger's mouth. <laughs> Wow. Yes, yes, yes. So I, there a lot of people cannot handle it. And mm -hmm. I guess there, you know, I, I as I've said, I, I have heard of spouses just leaving because they can't they can't handle it. It's tough and I, I think there there's no right answer, but you know, I'm I think the caregivers we don't talk about them often enough. And I think they are really, they just play such a critical role in all of this. And they need support too. They need just as much emotional support as the patients themselves. Absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. I mean, if I were in my husband's shoes, sitting and waiting over 12 hours for him to come out of surgery, I think I would have had to be hospitalized myself. <laughs> it's so hard. It is. Yes. I, 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 I absolutely feel the same exact way as what you just said, that the the caregivers and the care partners, they need just as much support and I, I believe that it should be discussed more. It should be communicated more. Um, there should be more resources out there, but there, there are resources, thankfully. I think that it's our job, you know, as my job as an oncologist and all other oncologists is to really bring that concept to the table, you know, to make patients and their family members aware that emotional health is so important for everyone involved. Yes. Yes. I actually, um, 
I spoke at a uh, panel in which my oncologist was, it was basically her baby to get this panel together. And it was uh, a few months ago, essentially it was a way of bringing all types of uh, practitioners together to work with the patient so that the patient doesn't have to go seeking a therapist, uh, a rehab doctor, uh, a chaplain, if, if they are, you know, religious or spiritual, um, a physical therapist, uh, an occupational therapist, a social worker. It should all be together as a team and presented to the patient and the caregiver as one. And so that they are given all of the resources that they need. And my oncologist, I have to bless her heart, is so amazing. And she cares so very much about the emotional part of all of this. And it's not just treating the disease, it's treating the person. And it has to be also treating, unfortunately, the family as well, because as I spoke at the panel, uh, the discussion came up about mental health. And, and I spoke up and, and said, it has to be discussed mental health just in general in our society is not openly discussed as much as it should be. And this is, again, as I say, very traumatic. It turns your world upside down. And so you, you should have resources and should be given resources. It shouldn't be the patient and the caregiver having to go out there and look for it. It should be given to them. That's so important because otherwise you're saying, well, yeah, it's important. Go find a therapist. Uh, Good luck. I mean, where do people start? Exactly. Exactly. And that's so much of what my, thankfully my oncologist is so on point about and working to create a program within Sloan Kettering to do just that so that it is essentially you have an entire team of everyone working together so that everyone knows about everything that is going on and that, you know, the patient is taken care of physically, mentally, what have you. It's beautiful. Before we wrap up, I do want to touch quickly on all the travel stuff that you've done because I know you did first descent and I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that program. Oh yes. Uh, as you know, uh, you, uh, interviewed my dear friend Lauren a little bit ago Mm -hmm. and she also discussed first descent. So first descent is a nonprofit organization based out in Colorado. And what it does is it takes cancer patients slash survivors, thrivers, whatever term you want to use, um, out. They have surfing, uh, whitewater kayaking, ice climbing, mountain climbing to all different parts of the country. And it is all expenses paid except for your travel to the location wherever you choose to have your camp. Um, However, they do have um, a scholarship that um, people can apply for. So if they don't have the money for the travel, they can apply through the organization um, to to get um, their expenses paid to travel. So my choice was to go uh, whitewater kayaking in Oregon. And I actually did not expect it to be so intense, but it was so intensely wonderful. And my oncologist and my neurosurgeon who 
are just, they were just, they're, they're my world, <laughs> you know, they're my idols. Um, they knew how important this trip was for me. And it was scheduled for August of 2015. I was diagnosed with my recurrence in June of 2015. So I had to undergo my second brain surgery, uh, second of five now, <laughs> in the last day of June. So uh, June 30th, 2015. And I was scheduled to leave, I believe, in mid-August 2015 for camp out in Oregon. And all I did was say, please, doctors, please get me to camp. Please, I need to go. I need this for me, my, my, my emotional, you know, uh, mm-hmm. health, my physical health. I need this. So they were so supportive. And thankfully, I got out to camp August of 2015. We went um, whitewater kayaking, as I said, in Oregon. It was the most incredible experience. I am still in touch with every single one of my fellow camp members. Um, We were one of 11, um, and it was just the most... it's almost indescribable. Um, you you don't know how powerful it is until you experience it. I would encourage anyone who can do it to do it. And again, it's first descent. They have also, and I know that it's not cancer related, but they have also extended their program now to MS patients, which I think is wonderful because MS has also touched my world. It runs um, on my mother's side and I just lost my aunt to MS just before Christmas um, this last year. So uh, they they are just wonderful and they have an annual bash out in uh, Colorado in Vail. Uh, the ball is fantastic. <laughs> um, but, but, but camp is just, you will see men crying, women crying, because it is just, it is so, it's so wonderful because you really find so much encouragement, strength. You bond so much with these people even if you never see them again thankfully i have seen every one of my fellow camp members um multiple times uh even if you never see them again you will have a lifetime bond with these people that's incredible yes yes absolutely Is there anything else that you want to talk about or share before we wrap up? My story is, of course, quite long, even though it's only been five years. Um, So I won't get, I guess, into much of my diagnosis and what treatments and everything that's transpired. But I will briefly say, you know, I have as I said, conquered brain cancer twice. I have had five brain surgeries in five years. Um, I have been fortunate enough to have the most incredible medical team. I have also developed epilepsy, unfortunately, from my um, diagnosis, and a seizure can come on at any time, anywhere. Unfortunately, Although I have one of the most prestigious epilepsy doctors in the country, if not the world, we still cannot control my seizures um, with medication. And um, another surgery going that far into my brain would be quite um, risky, although perhaps maybe somewhere down the line, I'll be having a sixth surgery, so who knows 
who knows what the future holds. I never thought I'd be sitting here saying I've had five brain surgeries. <laughs> but uh, also, I would also like to just, uh, again, touch upon how important it is that people know the facts of uh, brain cancer and how devastating it really is because it is so underfunded and we desperately need so much more funding, so much more research. I am extremely, extremely proud of the work that I have done with the National Brain Tumor Society, uh, as well as Memorial Sloan Kettering's Cycle for Survival, uh, which is not just events, but we call it a movement. It is nationwide now, and it is an indoor cycling event that happens within um, Equinox Studios across the country. It is February through March, and it has raised millions upon millions of dollars, and every single cent goes to rare cancer research at Memorial Sloan Kettering, because unfortunately, pharmaceutical companies are not funding rare cancers. It just hurts my heart to think that they don't believe it's worth funding my life or my friends who have suffered through this disease. It's not enough, worth enough. So again, I'm a spokesperson for Cycle for Survival. I'm a spokesperson for the National Brain Tumor Society. I have worked also with the American Brain Tumor Association, who also has events across the country. And I would just like to give a short shout out to uh, a very, very dear friends of mine um, who have be started an organization called WeCanKickIt.org. And that is a program for children and their families who have been affected by cancer and they host soccer camps in the New York City um, area and they just had their one year anniversary event and it raised over $15,000 <laughs> I'm wow. very proud to say and founder Adrian and his wife. Adrian is a fellow brain cancer thriver slash survivor. And it's just a really incredible, incredible organization for children and their families who are within the New York City area. Adrian has been nominated by multiple organizations because of the work that they are doing through We Can Kick It. Again, I, I just wanted to give a little shout out to them. <laughs> that's, that's such good work. And I'll post their link uh, on the show notes. There's so many people doing such good things and it's so important to highlight them because we, there's no way to get, we have to get the word out. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So before we end, if you can give one piece of advice, what would it be? Now, I was a litigation attorney in Manhattan. So the joke is whenever an attorney says, I just have one more thing to say, <laughs> it's never one more thing. <laughs> so it's hard to pick one thing. I believe that the one thing I would say is never lose hope. And now hope does not have to necessarily be, oh, I'm just going to one day magically be cured. Hope can be as little as I got out of bed today. Hope <laughs> can be I ate my first meal in the hospital, a, a real meal, not just the awful you know, um, liquid diet that they give you post-surgery. Hope can be 
that you walk down the block. Hope, hope has so, so many manifestations. And even if it is towards a dire time, just hope for peace and comfort. What a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And if any listeners want to connect with you, what would be the best way to do that? Uh, Yeah, so it's funny that I actually um, just attended um, an event for um, brain injury, people who have been affected by brain injuries and their families and met a woman who was encouraging me to write a book. So I hopefully will be writing a book, but I haven't gotten there yet. So I don't have a book, however. Um, well, when um, you do, we will <laughs> all read it. I hope so. I hope so. Um, people, I'm happy to have people um, message me on Instagram, uh, request me as a friend, I guess you'd say. Um, I'm at R-A-K-0202. Again, that's on Instagram. Um, And I don't unfortunately have any, you know, wonderful website or, you know, any, I don't have a book yet, but but it's coming. It's in the works. It's in the works. <laughs> it's in the works. And of course, if um, anyone would like to message you, um, I am more than happy to. Um, I can connect you. Yeah. Give them my email address. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. And this was so great to have the conversation. Oh, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I look forward to it. I miss hearing it. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Ruth. It is critical to highlight these rare cancers and to share the stories of the women and men who are affected by them. She has done some incredible work in the brain cancer advocacy and please hop over to the show notes to see some really helpful links to check out. As always, I hope that you are loving these episodes and learning as much as I am from them. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts as that is the best way to help me grow the show. You can find me at Dr. Duplinski on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for more podcasts and cancer news and updates. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you have a great weekend. See all of you next week.